Last week, we introduced Paul's remarks to the Colossian church as he shifts his focus to the false teachers that prompted his pastoral attention being paid the way of the Colossians. The message we preached last week was simple. Walk in the way of Jesus, the way you received in the gospel. The way of Jesus offers life. The way of the false teachers is ultimately deception. It does not offer, it does not deliver that which it offers. This morning, as Sam read in verses 16 through 23 of Colossians 2, Paul gets a bit more specific about how these teachers are engaging Christians and then how the Christians should regard them. Now, the finer points of these false doctrines is difficult to determine. Like we saw in Galatians when we preached through that book, there is some insistence that Christians should follow Jewish law a particular way. But other scholars think the false teachers in Colossae were not just Judaizers, meaning not just trying to make them Jewish in their observance of Christianity, but there was some sort of uh, Greek influences where they were trying to convince the Christians that, that what they've received is nice and it's foundational and it's basic, but what they need to get to the higher plane of spirituality, only these false teachers could offer. In any event, whatever the finer points of doctrine may have been, the situation remains the same. Colossian brothers and sisters were made to feel like they had not arrived yet. They were made to feel like their knowledge was insufficient. Knowing Christ simply would not be enough because they didn't eat right. They didn't drink right. They didn't dress right. They didn't observe the right holidays, and they didn't observe the right holidays in the right way. But Paul will implore them in our text this morning not to back down, and he'll implore them not to be discouraged. And I wonder, perhaps you have been made to feel insufficient because you perceive that you lack in some way. You don't look right. You don't feel like you think right. You're always questioning if you're doing the right religious things. Perhaps you've bought the lie that you're trapped in the shallow end of the pool and can never swim in the deep end of God's grace. Perhaps you, like the Colossians, have encountered a spiritual bully. Or perhaps you look more like the people that caused the writing of the letter than the Colossians themselves. Perhaps you've made someone else feel insufficient because they didn't adhere to the norms and customs of your culture's brand of Christianity. Perhaps you've encountered a spiritual bully, but perhaps you've been a spiritual bully. Wherever you are and whatever you've done, however you approach the sermon this morning, hear this loud and clear, the gospel of Christ is enough. In Christ, you can know God truly. In Christ, you can grow in God fully. And in Christ, you can please God. Our sermon this morning is organized around five reasons you should be confident in Christ in spite of spiritual bullies. Five things Paul wanted to make sure the Colossians understood before he goes on to paint a beautiful picture of the Christian life in Colossians chapter 3, which I cannot wait to preach. And this morning I pray that God 
does a couple of things. I pray that he increases our confidence, and I pray that he increases our humility as we center on Christ, the object of true religion. The title of this morning's sermon is Christ, True Religion. Here are the five reasons so that you can have them in your notes as we make our way through the sermon. Reason one, shadows, not substance. I'll get into all this in a moment, but I like, some of you like to know where we're going. Shadows, not substance is reason one. Reason two is spiritual arrogance. Reason three is they're detached from the head. Reason one, shadows, not substance. Reason two, spiritual arrogance. Reason three, detached from the head. Reason four, you're dead to the world. Dead to the world. And reason five, their wisdom is useless. Their wisdom is useless. Let's look in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't yield to the spiritual bullies because they're focusing on shadows, not substance. Paul is here using language that will be used a couple of other places in the New Testament where the relationship between the law and the Old Testament and Christian worship is um, considered. Jewish worship life, perhaps in view here, and the sacrificial system, which uh, will be referred to as shadows in other places, is a shadow whose substance is Christ, is a shadow whose substance is Christ, meaning Christ is the point. The point of the sacrificial system is and always was Christ. The point of any ritual in Jewish life would always point to Christ. It's important to note here, Paul is not Uh, necessarily condemning certain ways of practicing religion so much as he's condemning ways of making those ways normative. Paul's not necessarily condemning people who observe a Sabbath. He's condemning people who say that observing a Sabbath is the essence of Christianity. He's not necessarily condemning people who eat or drink or do a certain thing. He's condemning people who say to grow in grace, to grow in Christ, you have to do X. Paul is condemning not so much the action as he's condemning making that action a litmus test for true Christianity. The point of the Old Testament is Jesus. The point of the law is Jesus. The point of Jewish festivals is ultimately Jesus. The point of Jewish dietary laws was ultimately Jesus. A life that pleases God is not just a life that avoids pork, does nothing on the Sabbath, and never touches alcohol. A life that pleases God is a life that's hidden in Christ. Old Testament worship, like New Testament worship, tells the story of God. It points to Jesus. You can choose to do certain things or not do certain things. You are free in Christ. Do things, church, that point you to Christ and avoid things that distract you from Christ. Do things that point you to Christ and avoid things that point you away from Christ. Avoid teachers and podcasts and books for nourishment's sake who care more about their pet issue than they do about Christ. 
Focus on the substance more than the shadow. Church, Paul says, you don't need to regard these guys because they are obsessed with the shadow and they're ignoring the substance. They're making things that are not supposed to be litmus tests, litmus tests for true Christianity. True Christianity is about Christ. True religion is and always has been and always will be centered and focused on Christ. If the shadows become the point, we've lost our way. Ignore false teachers because they are focusing on shadows, not substance. Reason number two, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Don't let them pass judgment on you and don't let them disqualify you because they are puffed up without reason. Don't let them disqualify you from living the Christian life. Don't let them pass judgment on you over the way you live your Christian life because they are puffed up without reason. Because they are arrogant for no good reason. The text says they are insisting on asceticism. Insisting on asceticism. That word asceticism it just implies, it just means this form of self-denial that proves how spiritual you are. That's the best way I can put it. Like fasting for fasting's sake or, or doing something to prove how you're taming your own flesh. But what it's really doing is just sort of proving your own dominance over yourself. There are stories of um, some monastic monks. Um, many of the reasons they gathered in the first place were, were, were good, but... But there was a season where some monks sort of lost their way and there are stories about this one monk who like built a platform and sat on it for like years just to prove he could, just to prove how much he had tamed his flesh. And the point of Christianity is not to show how much you've tamed your flesh, right? They're insisting on asceticism, some form of self-harm at, at one extreme, but really just sort of self-denial that you're trying to demonstrate your spirituality in your flesh and blood. Don't let them impress you and don't let them discourage you with their show of humility and their so oh so excellent and enviable spirituality. Don't let them disqualify you insisting on asceticism and insisting on the worship of angels. There's some debate over what is in view here when we talk about worship of angels. On face value, it probably means we don't worship any other higher being. We don't worship any other spiritual being other than God alone. But there was certainly this Greek idea that if you were spiritual enough that you could worship God the way the angels worshiped God. And so it's, it's possible that some false teachers had sort of convinced the Christians that, that you guys, um, you guys, you guys worship God and it's pretty cute, but like we worship with the angels. Our worship is more sophisticated. Our worship is more sincere. Our worship is sort of this next level worship. This language still exists today, that there's something more special about our worship that only if you simpletons could understand, maybe you would be like us. In other words, not only are these false teachers insisting on a demonstration of their piety, but they're putting off these vibes that their worship of God is just so much better. It's so much more intense. It's so much sweeter. They're marketing themselves as the truly humble, truly spiritual, truly religious ones that these basic people who are just talking about Jesus should learn from. 
if they were living today, they would probably have podcasts and books and platforms. They are puffed up without reason. They have enough influence that the Colossians think they should listen to them. But they are spiritually arrogant. Their religion is a show, and it's all about themselves. Paul says, they focus on shadows, not substance. And they're puffed up without reason by their sensuous, by their fleshly mind. They're arrogant. Reason number three, you don't need to listen to them. They are puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Here is the number one reason Paul says you don't need to listen to these guys. You don't need to regard what they're saying. You don't need to implement what they're teaching into your practice of the Christian faith. You need to stick with what you've been taught because ultimately these teachers are detached from the head. Simply that means they're, they're not in Christ. They're not in Christ and they're not part of the body. Their opinion in some level, on some plane is, is irrelevant. They can get no nourishment because nourishment comes from the head. So that means wisdom and the nourishment that comes from Christ into the body of Christ, they're, not deta- they're, they're detached from the head. So what they're getting is not nourishment. It's not going to make your lives more vibrant. Their teaching has no life in it. This is the heart of the issue. These guys are not part of the body. They are not in a position to judge you. They're not in a position to disqualify you. They're not in a position just to sort of uh, make your faith better. Like, don't listen to them because what they're teaching you is not nourishment. It's the opposite of nourishment. It's toxic and it will lead to death. And it's not because they're just terrible people necessarily. It's not because their ideas are just terrible on face value. But ultimately, it's because they are not connected to the head. I know they may sound smart. I know they may have a platform. I know they may be influential. They may have some stature, but their growth is not from Christ. It's more like that of a cancer. It's corruption. Ultimately, you don't have to regard these guys because they're not part of the body. And because they're not part of the body, they're agents of the world, which leads me to reason number four. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. The fourth reason they should disregard the teachings that are infiltrating their ranks is because they are dead to the world. These teachers are worldly. They're not godly. They're not here for your benefit. They're here for your destruction. And what they're teaching you, do not handle this, do not touch this, do not do this. Ultimately, all of these are human precepts. They're human teachings. They're part of the elemental, they're coming from the elemental spirits of the world, meaning their source is not God. Their source is the spiritual enemy. So if you were to obey these people, you're obeying human tradition, and human tradition is obeying the enemy. It's obeying Satan. It's this antichrist spirit that does not submit to Christ. 
but follows its own path. Don't be bullied by these guys in a sense, in a biblical sense, because they're dead to you. You don't have to play by their rules. In Christ, you are dead to the world and all of its ideologies. They have no authority over you. So don't give them any. Submitting to their teachings would be like obeying a prison guard after you've left prison. It, it just makes absolutely no sense. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to the regulations? It's senseless, it's useless, it's unhelpful. You need to be reminded of what's true, Colossians, Paul says, and what's true is not simply what you see. What's true is that these guys are detached from the head, these guys are part of the world, and you are freed from their teachings. He continues a major theme that we picked up last week, that we have died with Christ. Our lives, our future, our past, and everything in between is hidden in Him. Because we have died to Christ, the powers of the world that rule over those teachers do not rule over us. They rule over a dead body of us. We are now alive in Christ. You do not live according to human precepts and teachings. You live according to the word of God. How do you know then? And this is, um, this is somewhat of an addendum. This is almost like a, let's just take a quick break for a moment. How do I then, how do I process which human teachings are helpful and which human teachings are unhelpful? Like, how do I know that someone is, I disagree with them, but they can have a lot of helpful things to speak into my life, whereas, like, I need to shut the doors here and, and perhaps not listen in the sense that uh, I'm not listening to apply these things um, to my life? Uh, who do I, how do I know who to learn from, right? How do I know who to be accountable to? Because the scriptures don't teach that you're accountable to nobody. They don't teach that there's never a place for Christians to hold each other accountable and to examine one another and to judge in one sense one another. Maybe ask some like Pauline questions, things like this. Does the person I'm listening to, do they focus on substance or shadow? Do they focus on substance or shadow? Do they love the gospel? Do they love Christ or do they just love their pet issue because it's that pet issue that makes them feel important? Are they more concerned with what you do than what's real? Are they more concerned with your actions than your heart? Um, are they trying to impress you with their knowledge and their sacrifice? Do they promise these vague, esoteric things like a next level breakthrough? or a grace zone, or a deeper knowledge that is somehow hidden from the saints for 2,000 years? If they're asking some of these questions, if you're asking some of these questions, this will help you think about, okay, is this person, you know, maybe someone I just disagree with on issues, or are they, do I take their teaching and just say I'm not going to engage with that. Helpful teaching makes much of Christ, not our religious trappings. Helpful teaching embraces the gospel and all of its implications. You do not live according to human precepts. You live according to the word of God. The best teachers don't make up the best precepts, but the best teachers 
point to the best precepts in the word of God. Reason number five, Colossians don't have to listen to these teachers, is that the wisdom they're offering is absolutely worthless. Verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Uh, worship team or Nate, if you want to come on up as we work our way to a close. The final reason the Colossians must not be discouraged by false teachers is that their false teaching is useless. It looks like wisdom, but it ain't wisdom. It looks like humility, but it ain't humility. It looks like a powerful religion that gives you dominion over your days, right? It looks like a powerful religion that tames your heart, that, that makes you live a certain way, that gets rid of some of these things that you want rid of. It looks like a powerful religion, but it is a useless religion because it is of no value in defeating your greatest enemy, which is yourself. A religion about you cannot crucify you. You might be able to clean up your behavior a little bit if you listen to these guys. You might dress a certain way. You might follow certain rituals. You might eat a certain way. And it might give you a sense of belonging to their community. But ultimately, it's for nothing. You might be able to clean up the margins of your behavior a little bit. But following their rules ain't going to clean your heart. Say that again. You, you might be able to clean up sort of the margins of your behavior a little bit, but following their rules is, is not going to clean up your heart. Don't listen to these guys, Paul says, before he launches into chapter 3. In chapter 3, he's going to spell out the Christian life. You, you're taking off the old self, the one that those guys are all still living in, right? And you're putting on the new self. You know, you're, you're taking off hate and you're, you're putting on love. You're taking off pride and you're, you're putting on humility. Paul's going to demonstrate for them what the Christian life looks like. But before he does that, he says, guys, I, I want you to be confident in the gospel you've heard. You don't need anything else. You're not lacking in any way. A lot of scholars think that the Colossian church was sort of revolting on Epaphras, the one who brought them the gospel and shared the gospel with them. And Paul's saying, I know you're, you're tired of him, maybe. I know you might be bored with him, but like, stick to the message. Stick to the word. Stick to the way. Stick to the life. Stick to Jesus. Don't listen to these guys because they're not focused on Jesus. They're focused on shadows. Don't listen to these guys because I know that they're trying to tell you they're humble, but if someone's repeatedly telling you how humble they are, they are definitively not humble. Don't listen to these guys because they're not a part of the body. They're detached from the head. Don't listen to these guys because you're dead to the world. They don't have any power over you. The power that they're wielding over you, they don't have. And don't listen to these guys because ultimately their teaching is useless. 
It ain't wisdom. It ain't humility. It's not a pure and powerful religion. It's a useless religion. So church, this morning, we center our hearts and we center our lives on the substance of the faith. Christ, the content and the point of true religion. You know, you can have a thousand people who don't touch alcohol. Give me 10 who are trying their hardest to love each other with the love God's given them. You can have a thousand people longing for next level spirituality. Give me 10 who know this is not difficult, who read their Bibles, who gaze at Christ and understand that cultivating the life of God in them is the essence of true Christian spirituality. You can have a thousand people in a church all about themselves who are there to learn lessons to apply to their lives so that they can go and build their kingdom. But just give, give, me, give me 10 who say, I, I want to die to myself. I don't want to build my own kingdom. I want to live my life fully under God. And if that means being completely unknown for the rest of my life, I embrace that with joy and excitement. Church, I want us this morning to be confident. Christ, the object of true religion, the point of it all, has given us everything we need to live a life fully unto God. We spend our lives looking for things that will help us and not looking into the thing that will definitely help us. The Christian life isn't learning all these hidden secrets of the mystery of God. It's gazing into the face of the mystery of God, Christ himself, and who exists Jew and Gentile in one body. Our scriptures teach, the apostles have penned the words that the scriptures contain everything necessary for a life in godliness. You don't need higher knowledge from a person who lords their authority over you. You need people to come alongside you and point you to Jesus. And as together we gaze at Christ, we are together transformed, a corporate transformation into the image of Christ. Christ is the one who brings us together, and Christ is the one who we proclaim. There was some division in the church. There were some spiritual bullies in Corinth as well. Some of them may be Christians, but they were still spiritual bullies. And they were dividing the Lord's table on socioeconomic lines. You know, there was conflict amongst each other. And the Lord's table was sort of caught in the crossfires of that conflict. And Paul addresses them very, very sternly. And he reminds them and he teaches them that every time we gather at the Lord's table, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Everything we do should not be a mere shadow. Everything we do should be of substance. 
And that's why for 2,000 years, Christians have observed the Lord's Supper, because it really is, in some ways it's a great mystery, but in some ways it's not, because it's the two most simple elements of, the human, or the, of people's diets throughout time and space. It's bread and it's wine. And we proclaim Christ. We proclaim his death until he comes. We proclaim the death that disarmed the rulers and principalities of the world. And we proclaim that this Christ, this sacrificial lamb, is also the roaring lion. This Christ, who has died in our place, is the same Christ who will return. The eastern skies will explode. And the people of God will gather. And he will rule the nations and he will reign forevermore. So this morning, after I give us a moment for reflection, when you come to the table, you're proclaiming Christ. Christ is the point. Christ is the object of true religion. Christ is enough. Christ has died. Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And I will learn to live my life in the context of a people who gather under the word of God, around the table of God, and who learn to live the life of God together. Let's pray. Father, um, you're worthy of every song we could ever sing as we've sung to you this morning. You are good. And there is no one like you. Father, forgive us if we have forgotten the point at different junctures of our lives. The Christianity is not just doing certain things, wearing certain things, eating certain things, avoiding certain things. But Christianity is holding up Christ, the crucified and risen Lord, who beckons the nations to himself. Forgive us where in our pride we fixate on the things we want to fixate on while the most urgent, pressing, glorious news gets tabled. Forgive us, Lord, but also strengthen us strengthen us and embolden us that the deep end of your grace, so to speak, is not off limits. There's not a human gateway right there, but we, the people of God, are filled with your spirit and we have your word and we can gather with your people and we can discern your will in every part of our lives together. We can know you because you've made yourself fully known to us and you've given us all we need to know you. You've given us all we need to love you. You've given us all we need to live a life that pleases you. And so fill us, God, with excitement that I can do this, that we can do this. We can know you. We can love you. We can serve you. And we don't have to look like a 20-something. We don't have to look like a 60, 70-something. We don't have to look to be a man or a woman or have to be a certain body type. We don't have to be any certain type of way that you've created all of us to know you, to love you, and to serve you all the days of our lives, God. Give us confidence upon confidence upon confidence that we can do this because of who you are and what you've done and your presence among us. In Christ's name we pray.